This is the Prestigious Initiative. Welcome. I'm Chris Bean, and here with me is Chris Kent. Hello, Mr. Kent. Hello, sir. Today, continue, continuing our conversation about present, uh, presenting ourselves, or I guess having a presentation of ourself that is of high value and holding ourselves in high esteem. Today, we are going to talk about the people that we associate with, kind of our network of friends perhaps even role models that you look up to and try to strive to to be like or to have some of their ideas or mindsets or practices that they have. And I think that maybe we start with perhaps role models. And I think having a role model is a hugely important thing. And I think that perhaps not just one role model, but a series of role models that, you know, present different avenues of you. Because, you know, as we're told in kindergarten, you are special. Everybody is special. Everybody is unique. You can't mold yourself to be somebody else entirely. You can't turn into Steve Jobs. You can't turn into Elon Musk. But what we can do is kind of associate and and develop some of the practices or some of the habits or some of the routines or goals or mindsets that they have. And because we came after them, we have the advantage of learning from their mistakes. And we have the advantage of kind of almost picking and choosing the different qualities of those role models that we want to strive to be like. And I think, you know, that is a very helpful thing for for anybody. And so trying to find perhaps a group of people that have the things that you want to have or that are in the places you want to be in or have the jobs that you want to be or something like that and see what kind of information you can gain from them. And perhaps it's not a quote-unquote famous person that you can, you know, read about. Perhaps it's somebody that, you know, works in your office that you can sit down and have coffee with and share ideas and, and and talk about the different things that, you know, hey, this is kind of what I'm looking for. I like that you do this and you have that. I want to know more about what makes you tick. I want to more I want to know more about how you think about this and, and all this with the intention of trying to collect some of their ideas or mindsets or practices or whatever it is to incorporate into your own life. And the nice thing is, as you're doing those, you get to pick and choose. You don't have to do everything they do. You don't have to do any of it. You can pick and choose. Okay, man, I really like this one aspect of this one person. And so you do that. Everything else about them you think is is wrong or, 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 you know, the opposite of what you want. Okay, fine. Pick that one thing, see how you can incorporate that, modify it, make it work for you, and then go forth and do those things. Yeah, it goes back, it goes back to your, your goals and your values and your habits. You see and find other people that um, embody things that you value, that have achieved goals that you have set for yourself, and um, you, you find out a way to use the things that they have done or are doing to your advantage. And, and like you said, Mr. Bean, you don't have to do everything they do. Just because you have a role model doesn't mean you have to become that person. Maybe you only like you know, the way that they dress. Maybe you only like the way that this person presents himself in public. Maybe you only like the way 
you know, this person behaves at their job or whatever it is. You don't have to absorb all the traits of one single person, but you can find many people that you respect and you learn over time that their values are similar to your values and and you can find that they have something that you want that you're working toward and and you know like you said you sit down with them you can talk to them you can learn things from them and i think that that at some point transcends from the role model position into almost like a mentor type position where you're sitting with someone and let's say they have um you know they run a business similar to a type of business you want to run well they got there and so they probably have an idea of how they got there and they probably have an idea of what you should probably do to help yourself get there too. And they can share with you all of the mistakes they learned and had to go through along the way and help to prevent you from having to go through all of those mistakes along the way. Right. Yeah. They can help guide you and, and be that role model and that mentor to, to getting the things that you want or, or being the way that you want. You know, you notice someone is always dressed a certain way. You notice someone is always um, behaving a certain way in public. You can sit down with them and say, hey, you know, what is your reasoning behind doing X, Y, or Z thing? Why do you do uh, ABC? What, you know, what is your, your, thought process or your your value system that makes you behave the way you're behaving and you can kind of get an insight into number one why they do it because you already know what they're doing you know that you like what they're doing but you can learn why they do it so that you can try to either adopt that for yourself or discover a, a different why for why you want to do x y or z thing and so having those role models whether it be personal you know uh, a friend, someone you work with, or if they're more of a celebrity and they have like interviews or or published work where you can kind of get those answers. Um, I think it's important to be able to identify the things that you like in other people and then go about trying to find out how you want to implement that into your own life. And again, I think that's through, through talking and finding out why people do things, but then also recognizing you don't have to, to accept everything that that person is. You can pick and choose the things that you like, but then use them as, as role models or mentors or, or guides to help you also become um, that way or get that thing. And, and you know, the, the, it all comes back to the way that we're presented because you see that person presenting a certain way. And so they are also working on the way they present themselves, how they dress, how they interact with people, who they, who they're with and all that stuff. And so, they obviously, if you like what they what they are what they are presenting, they obviously did a good job presenting, at least to you or to other people that are like minded and and value the same things as you. So again, they already have something that you want. So whether they unconsciously or consciously got there, you know, because they might have something that they didn't think every day. Hey, I'm working toward this. I'm working toward this. I'm working toward this. But the way they lived their life brought them to a point where. They did get that thing, whether or not they were actively pursuing it or not. So even in those situations, it's not like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you want this car that I have. Well, I started dreaming about this car when I was 15 and I did this, 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 this to get it. Maybe it was just, hey, you know, I, I was disciplined. I was consistent. I worked a lot. I, I had these goals and I got to the point where I could buy this car. And I thought, this, oh, this car is nice. I'll buy this car. They didn't have the same end goal as you. They weren't living out the goal of trying to buy that car, but the way that they lived their life got them to the point where they could buy that car. And so your goal is to buy that car and they lived a life where they could get that car. You can take tips from their life and do things that they did because 
they got to that point, even though it wasn't their goal. And so that's what I mean by unconsciously, is they weren't actively pursuing that thing, but they lived a life that got them to that point. So you can still learn and take tips and, and advice from the way they lived their life, because that might also put you in a position where you could be where they are too. Um, so, you know, networking, having mentors, uh, having role models, all these things are very, are very um, helpful, but also easily overlooked because that, that sometimes you can, you can kind of confine yourself or you can kind of live that solitary life where you're thinking to yourself that you're just on the grind and just getting the job done, but you're not interacting with other people and using them for inspiration and for advice and for motivation and, you know, learning from their failures as they share with you. So it's also easily overlooked. And I think it's overlooked in another way too, where you don't quite realize the people that are around you in your network and how they influence you. Um, and I guess kind of what I mean is I think we've all heard a phrase similar to the, the idea that you are, you will become, or you are like the five people you spend the most time with or however that phrase goes. And so sometimes we spend a lot of time with people that aren't necessarily in line with our goals or our values. And slowly over time, again, unconsciously, we start to change our values or change the way we behave or change um, the things that we find important because we are surrounded by the people who don't have those similar type values or, or goals or whatever it is. And so that's another flip side to it is you need to be aware of who you're surrounding yourself with, who your network is, because they're going to influence you um, a lot, whether or not you realize it's happening you're going to become like them. You're going to find importance in the same things they do. And you're going to, you know, have similar goals as them. And they're really going to rub off on you. So you're going to make sure that within your network, you are surrounded by people who share similar values or who are, or are living out lives with goals that you can get on board with. And, and, you know, they're actually people that you want to spend time with because, whether you like it or not, you're going to start to adopt some of their traits or their habits or their goals or their values, the way they present themselves just by being around them. So it's another another part of this networking and uh, you know interpersonal relationships. Just be very careful about those things. The ones you do seek out, the ones that you currently have, and maybe for trying to transition out of one or realizing just now that maybe you should transition away from a friendship. I'm not saying you have to dump people and never talk to them again and, and, you know, throw them out with the trash, but maybe be more aware of how they're influencing you when you're around them or put a little bit more distance between you and them so that your goals aren't being skewed by their opposite or their goals that aren't lined up with yours. If that kind of makes sense. You know, as you're talking about this, this kind of makes me think about two things. One is uh, in Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, he has a whole chapter that, that is make friends with people who want the best for you. And that really like kind of nails down, in essence, what you were just d- describing. And I think another part of this is somewhere that is often overlooked is couples finding other couples to mentor them. And this would mean that as a young couple, you find a older couple 
probably not mom or dad from either side, but an older couple that you can kind of learn from and, and gain some insight from and learn from the mistakes that they went through to help so you don't go through those mistakes. I think that is an incredibly valuable tool uh, that I know me and my wife have done across a couple different other couples that has been very helpful and, and, and insightful. And as you're talking, all of those things, you're just trying to gain the insight. You're trying to learn from the different things that they can that they can share you with you. They've already been in those situations or or similar type situations. It's not like you are the only one in the world who's ever felt or experienced the things that you have felt or experienced. Odds are, a heaping load of other people have felt the things that you feel are feeling and have been through the things you are feeling. So seek out some of those other people that have been in those instances and talk about what's going on. Find some common ground, help to, you know, build that conversation. And then, you know, hey, this is what I'm going through. Have you been through something like this? And they'd say, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know, where it was 10 years ago, I did this or, you know, whatever it was, but then they can share, okay, this is, this what got, this is what got me through it. This is what I did to go around this. Or, you know, maybe it's, no, I haven't been there before, but if I was, this is what I would recommend to do. And so just because they have that further experience that you perhaps don't have or don't have yet, they can share some insights that you don't know or you have not thought of previously. And, you know, I think, again, a big one that's often overlooked is people do this in business, people do this, you know, for life you know, strategies or productivity or whatever it is, but seldom people do this as a couple, finding another couple to, you know, learn from and use that couple as a a kind of a mentorship. And I I think that's often overlooked, but a a key thing uh, that can be incredibly helpful. Yeah. And even in that situation too, the intentionality behind it. Not that you're using that other couple. I think you genuinely have a relationship with that other couple. But, you know, I'm sure you and your wife have talked about it before, where you're like, hey, we can learn from this, or we're doing this, and we're trying to gain X, Y, or Z from this interaction. And so it's not just something that's happening subconsciously. You're actively trying to learn these, you know, and trying to be influenced in, in this way and actually trying to do that. So I think that's part of it too, is that, you know, talking about it and saying, Hey, we want to make sure that we're doing this or we can gain from this. Another part there too, is you're, you're discussing that in the mentorship kind of aspect and things, whether it's in your couple or in business or in life, um, just that willingness and that humility to accept that number one, you don't know all the answers or number two, maybe you didn't handle or do something the right way in your relationship, in your business, in your life, whatever it is. And that humility to, to be able to say, okay, I was wrong about this or, okay, I don't know what to do now. Or, you know, I need help is a lot, is really hard for people to to say. Um, so having that willingness to, to, to humble yourself enough to realize that you don't know it all, you are capable of making mistakes and it's okay that you need help and actively pursuing that from other people who want the best for you and have your best interest in mind. Um, it's another key part to that too, because if you're going into these mentorship type relationships or you're networking or you're, you're talking to other couples, 
And in your head, you've built up all these walls and you're stubborn and resistant to advice or, um, you know, stubborn and resistant to learning from these people, then the whole thing is pointless because you're not going to get anything done. You're just going to walk away thinking that you're better than someone else when really there's so much that you can learn from other people and you don't have to be right. You don't have to do everything correctly. You don't have to be so strong that you don't need help. It's okay to, you know, break down those walls and open yourself up to, to receiving advice and for learning and asking for help and things like that. So None of this would work if you aren't in that right place or you don't commit all of this humbly, accepting that you can learn from other people. Um, and it's it's beneficial, I think, to seek out help in various different ways. And I think a, a, a big proponent for that for me is I see most things in life as a a way to practice iterative testing. And understanding that the way that I did something was the way that I did it, not necessarily the good way or the best way or the most efficient way or the the nicest way. It just was the way that I did it. And understanding that because I did it that way and I have like a foundational belief that everything is an iterative test and if I did it this way, it, okay, I learned that this works or this doesn't work or I want to change this for next time. And the next time I do that thing, I try it a little bit different and I try it a little bit different. Or then I try to use what continues to work and, and kind of, you know, not necessarily throw away, but at the very least put put away the things that didn't work at least that time. And that's across almost every area that I can think of in life. And if I can ask people who have been in these instances and these positions what they did. I don't necessarily have to go through, you know, 5,000 different trials before I find the solution. I can ask them and they say, oh yeah, you know, I went through 10,000 different things, but this is the one that I did that works. And then I tried that one that works and wow, okay, that worked for me too. I don't have to go through all the mess. That's why, I mean, it seems silly, but reading books is hugely important because of that. We get to learn what everybody else has already, you know, all the trials and, and, and tribulations they've already been through. One, it's I, I find it interesting to learn those things. But also, I get to learn if if I was in those instances or, or if I can gain some of that information and use in my everyday life, then I don't have to go through 10 or 15, 30, whatever, however many different times to get it, get it to, uh, to get it wrong before I can get it right. And most things, if they're worth doing, they're worth doing wrong until you can do right. But if you can shortcut that by learning from somebody else what not to do, and then just do what works is great. And it's all about coming at it with, like you said, coming at it with a with a humble mindset of understanding that, you know, what you're doing probably isn't the best. What I'm doing isn't the best. There are things that I can improve on. We can all improve on. And understanding that almost everything in life is a, is has an iterative testing process or, or mindset or aspect to it. And because you did it this way or because grandma did it this way, you might want to do it that way, and it might be the best way, but try what somebody else does. See what that does. Okay, try what this person does. Learning from those people. Now, if you if you if that person went through 10,000 different trials, okay, this is what I did that works. You do it. 
nope, that doesn't work. But then you try three or four. Oh, well, that worked. And you get three or four trials instead of 10,000 because you got, you know, 10,000 steps already ahead of where everybody else was. So just understanding that, you know, gaining this information from other people is because they went through all of those testing processes. You get to just pick it up and say, okay, great. I'm going to use this as a roadmap and see where it takes me. And you, of sure, of course, might have to change and modify things along the way. But it gets you so much further than you otherwise would have been. Yeah, you know, two things. Number one, I like the idea of iterative, te- iterative testing. You and I have never talked about that before, at least together. I yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, but I like that idea because, you know, I've, I'm familiar with the idea of iterative decision-making. It's kind of similar to that where, you know, you you have an end goal, but the, from where you are and to that end goal is a, a large ways away. So rather than devote all your time and resources and just throw everything at getting to that goal, you make a small move and then you reassess. Okay, this worked. You make a small move. You reassessed. Oh, okay, this didn't work. Let's go back a step. Let's try something different. And then you make those small decisions that have less and less of an impact toward reaching that goal rather than giving it all up to try to reach the goal and then you're out of resources and out of people and out of time because you were reckless with your decision making and just kind of taking those small steps toward reaching that goal or those small changes, those small tests, you know. Uh, For example, let's say you're you're making uh, a cake. You make the cake and something about it isn't right or something about it you don't like, you think it could be better. And so the next time you make the cake, you change every single, every, every single thing about that recipe and you make the cake and okay, this is better. Well, you don't know exactly what made it better because everything changed. So rather than changing everything, you change one thing at a time until you find out what the thing was that made the cake better. Maybe that's a poor example, but the idea there is also making these small decisions. It's easier to track or know what the difference was rather than, oh, well, one way I did it, one time I did it this way, the other time I did it a completely different way. We have no idea what changed. 17 things could have changed rather than one thing that you can actually observe. So I do like that iterative testing uh, and that kind of like iterative decision-making thing that we're talking about. And, you know, when we're, we're, we're here and we're talking about these different things and the different testing and finding things that you want to, um, it is not the same for everybody. So like you said, you read a book or you see something that someone talked about and they do it this way and you try it that way. It's not for you. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. You can make those iterative tests or do those iterative tests and change a few things here and there to make it work for you. But like you said, you don't have to do the 10,000 steps it required you to get to that point too. So we're not saying that even in these cases, you read a book and you do something exactly like someone did because it might not work for you. You might need to tweak X, Y, or Z thing and make it work but what's best for you. So in those cases too, you know, even within relationships or your mentors, if they're doing something that doesn't quite work for you, you can still use or 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 rely on their knowledge and, 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 and take advantage of what they can share with you. But you might have to tweak that a little bit too, and that's okay. Like you don't have to do exactly like that person does or be exactly like that person is because we're all different. And like you said, we're at no point in time do we think that we are the best. Number one, it's like I said, it's different for everybody. But number two, I know in, in six months, 
there's a lot of things I'll be doing differently than I was doing now. And in six months, I'll think it's better than it is now, even though now I think everything's good. That's just the way that things go and we change and we evolve and we grow. And, you know, also getting stuck in one place and being stuck in a way of thinking, the way of doing things, I think sometimes can be dangerous too, because you're not having that openness or that humility to accept the change, which can be frustrating too. But, you know, being open to those things, taking those iterative, te- iterative tests, making small changes and, and trying to adjust things to work for yourself, I think is also vital or pivotal in what we're talking about here as well. So moving from mentorship to friendship, but maybe we first establish what, you know, what a friend is. People kind of throw around that term on a whim, I, I feel nowadays. And 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 I'll give you an opportunity. I'll kind of go first, but friendship to me is something that you can rely on. Something that you can call to say, "Hey, I need help moving," and they will be there to help you move. And they will like and 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 have fun, and they will enjoy that because you're there with them. That's friendship. But friendship, um, I think John Deloney, and I'm, I'm going to reference John Deloney uh, a little bit later as well. In in the idea of friendship, but he says friendship is somebody you can call at three a.m. and say, "Hey, I have to bring my wife to the hospital. Can you come and watch the kids?" And they will answer the phone at three a.m. and their answer will always be, "Yes, I will be right there to watch your kids." And that's somebody you feel comfortable with being there with your kids, and somebody that will answer the phone at three a.m. and get out of their nice, warm, cozy bed and go all the way to your house to watch your kids while you go and do whatever you have to do. That is friendship. And nowadays, with the social media, we have loads of friends and followers and and that kind of collective of people that go along with you that you never talk to on the phone, you never talk to even face-to-face. You see them, they post about, you know, what they ate for dinner, they're, they're you know, the cool thing they're doing this weekend or whatever it is. But, you know, number one, you don't actually care about any of that. Number two, you you never actually see them or make time to spend with them or value their company. And I, very likely the reverse is true. The same for them to you. And so friendship is perhaps uh, almost a lost thing nowadays. And, and, you know, I'm not saying you have to have whatever number of followers you have on those social media platforms, actual friends in real life. Maybe you have a selection of five friends, true friends, real friends that you can call on when you need them. And you can ask them a tough question and they will give you the tough answer, despite how it will make you feel or, you know, whatever it is. And that won't change anything about your friendship. If anything, it will make it better. It'll deepen that connection because you know they will tell you, you know, what they actually truly believe you need to hear or what you actually truly need in that moment. Sure, yeah. I've never, I like that. I've never heard that before. I've also never had to think about what a friend is. Um, so on the spot, I guess, of having to talk about that, and you know, this is one of those things that I might change my opinion on later, but if I were to define what a friend is, it's someone that I would willingly spend time with 
outside of something I'm required to do. So if we're not required to be somewhere doing something and I say, hey, let's go do this or let's spend this time outside of something. We, does that make sense? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something, someone I would choose to spend my time with. So you're, you're than, differentiating a work associate or a work quote unquote friend, somebody that you are friendly with at work in, in order for that to transfer to a, a true friend or actual friend is somebody that you would spend time with at work per se, but also outside of work in an environment that you're not necessarily enclosed or forced to be at. Sure. Yeah. And I guess it mostly comes to work because I mean, what, what else do we do? I mean, we work and then we spend time with friends who we probably met at work or through school or from other friends or whatever. In all those cases, yeah, we're outside of somewhere that we have to be. We're not there because someone told us to be there. We're not there because we need to be there. I, I, I sought out that person to do something with them outside of those different contexts. So I would consider that maybe I, I think, I think just, you know, thinking on it very, very shortly here, I've considered that a friend as someone that I would willingly seek out to spend time with outside of a time that I have to. And, you know, you were talking about, um, social media and I heard a, 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 a term that I hope I'm using correctly the other week, um, the idea of a parasocial relationship. And that's like a, a one-sided relationship where one person is devoting time and energy attention to another person who completely has no idea that the person even exists or is unaware of what's going on. And the most common things, you know, the most common kind of parasocial relationships are like celebrities or sports teams or, you know, big popular figures. Because, you know, you and I can sit here and talk about uh, a certain person, certain celebrity for a long time, that celebrity has no idea that we exist, has no idea that we're, we're here doing these things. And, and, that, nor, and nor do they care. Nor do they care. Yeah. Not, not to say that they wouldn't care about us if we met them, but they're not trying to actively seek us out and have a friendship with us. They're not thinking, oh, that, yeah, Chris and Chris from that one podcast, I can't wait to, to sit down with them. Or they talked about this last week, or I saw they wore this, or the, you know they're doing this right now, whatever it is. They don't care. Obviously, we we do because we're talking about whoever that person is. Um, so that parasocial relationship, and I think with social media, a lot of those parasocial relationships are fed into and um, kind of emphasized because we can pop on our phone and find out a hundred things about this one person, and they don't know anything about us or they don't care about us at all. And so being aware of that too, and you know, a lot of people describe this as. I, I like to listen to podcasts and there's a couple podcasts and people on the podcast I listen to who I've heard, I've heard them talk for hours, hundreds of hours. I've heard them talk and I feel like I know them. I've never met them. I probably will never meet them. They'll probably never even know that I exist, but I feel like I know them. I feel like they're my friends for lack of a better word, because I've spent so much time with them, listening to them hearing what they have to say, hearing what's important to them, their values, their goals, their ideas, their thoughts. I've heard all of that from that one side. I have that parasocial relationship with them and they have no idea I exist and don't care. And that is so prevalent, I think, because of social media. And we're able to see, you know, what time this person woke up, what they ate, when they showered, what they're wearing today, what they're doing, what their job is, who their friend, like we know all these things about them because we can see it but we're not actually friends with them. We don't actually have a relationship with them. And so being aware of that dynamic, I think it's okay or it can be okay to look to that person 
for inspiration, for motivation, for advice if they happen to give it, or say, hey, I see this person has this thing, I want this thing. I, you can maybe even learn from them how to get that thing from their social media presence, but that's not your friend. They don't know you. It would be inappropriate to say, oh yeah, my friend, you know, Brad Pitt. I just throwing Brad Pitt out there because he's a, a famous well-known celebrity who I'll never meet and will not care about me at all. That's not appropriate to call him your friend. He's not your friend because you just learned everything about him in his life from social media, from a thousand yards away, for lack of a better term there too. But it's just it, being aware of that too and not not blowing that out of proportion and seeing it for what it is. And again, not saying you can't gain anything from that, but at the same time, maintaining a healthy balance and healthy distance from that kind of relationship as well. And maybe that kind of goes off a little bit from what you were talking about too, but I do find that interesting. I think mostly because I think we all have experienced some type of parasocial relationship. And this is the first time I had a word for it. The first time I was able to define what I was feeling uh, and just being like, Hey, yes, I understand that. Like I said, people I listen to on podcasts, I feel like they're my friends, but they're not because I've never met them. And I, I understand that, but I didn't have the words to say it. But I, I thought that was cool to learn about, at least for myself. You know, and as you're talking about that, especially with, with podcasts, podcasts are unique in the sense that we are, you know, the listeners are listening and you're listening for who knows how many hours and hours and hours of those people or that person talking. And you really do get a true sense of, or at least a believable, maybe falsely believable, true sense of, of how they are, who they are, what they believe, what they think, and how they – and because you're listening to, to them for so many so many hours. I mean if you think about the number of hours that you spent listening to a podcast and then compare that to the number of hours you've spent listening to somebody talk in real life, you know, sometimes that number is – you know, swayed more towards the podcast and, and maybe almost always swayed towards more towards the podcast, which is interesting. But it just it, it, it does kind of almost feed into that type of type of relationship, which I've never heard of before. That's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of tie in some of the other things we're talking about, too, there's a, a, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't, maybe it just was this way for you. But I know definitely when I was younger, and I was in school and, you know, even sometimes in college and things like that, the people I would consider my friends, we often did a lot of spontaneous things. So we're, you know, we're going throughout a normal week and all of a sudden someone texts us, hey, let's go here. Boom. All right, I'm going. Or, hey, you know, we're doing this in a few hours here. Can you make it? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll be there, whatever it is. And that was all fun. And that was game or, you know, that was that was all fun in games and everything worked out. But the point I'm getting at now is that now that I'm older and I have more things and more responsibilities, there's definitely times where I have to say no to some experiences or some events more often. But also I find ways and I try to make it work where I have, uh, I, I in my head, I call them, you know, scheduled meetings or scheduled appointments. And so what I mean by that is, you know, uh, when we sit down and do this podcast, it's a certain day, a certain time. That's what's going to happen every time. On Tuesdays, I do a certain thing, a certain time. Uh, once a month, I see this person and do this thing. Or, you know, uh, once every three months, blah, 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 whatever. But my point there is, 
I had these scheduled kind of interactions with people. And when I first started doing that, coming from a place where things were always more spontaneous and, and kind of off the cuff, I almost felt weird about it. I felt like, is it, can we, can I still consider this just like downtime with a friend if we had to schedule it for 7 p.m. on a Thursday? Like, is this still like hanging out, quote unquote? But I think that's also so special. Um, I mean, we kind of talked about rituals previously or or traditions or, or what have you. And, you know, kind of having that set scheduled time that I know, okay, every Sunday I'm going to do this. Or, you know, every Friday night I do this. Or every Wednesday morning we do this. And having that plan and having that schedule, I I love it. I love that, like, that plan, that schedule, and looking forward to that event. But then it also uh, is easier to maintain or to keep up those things because I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think, oh, when's the next time I'm going to see so-and-so? When's the next time, you know, this person and I are going to get together to do this? It's like, oh, no, we are going to do it the second Thursday of, of the month or, you know, the second to last Friday of the month or whatever it is. And so at least for me personally, having those scheduled interactions, those scheduled time for other people and, and certain events uh, was a huge uh, shift and I don't regret it at all. I, I love doing that. And that works for me and it's great. And again, some part of me sometimes feels like, man, this is just weird. Like I'm scheduling times with my friends. Like it'd be like, you know, scheduling time to, to, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how to, how to put it. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that feeling too, but, um, for a while it was weird, but now that's how I choose to do most of my things. And I think part of it comes into the balance that we talked about way at the beginning in our, in our goals and values. And, you know, I have a certain time for this and a certain time for this and being able to balance those things. Not that I won't flex the schedule sometimes, you know, if, if so-and-so wants to do something at a time that I'm normally doing something else, it might be worth it to cancel the thing I normally do so they can spend time with this person. But other times too, I'm like, oh no, I say I can't do this because I have other plans because I already have it scheduled and planned out. So that's just another part of habits and routines and values and making time for these interactions and friendships um, should be a priority. But also, I don't think you have to be at the beck and call of everybody because there are also, you know, those times when I was younger and in school and my friends would would be doing something and either I was working or I had to work the next day and I felt so bad saying no, but I don't think I should have, or I don't think I needed to. Uh, I just didn't think about it that way or view it that way back then. And whereas now I do, and, you know, trying to balance the things that are important to me with the things that I want to do and the things that I have to do. Um, it's another one of those things that takes a while to figure out. But once you figure it out, I think you can, you can make it work for you. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that kind of segues into what I would like to talk about next anyways, which is, and, and that's kind of what you're experiencing is what friendship is like for adults as opposed to what friendship is like for, you know, when we were kids. And John Deloney in his book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. Also, if you haven't read that, that's a very good one. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase a whole section, of, you know, in his in that book. But when you're kids, your friends are people that you see on the playground. And you say, hey, you want to be friends? Yeah. Okay, great. And then you're friends. And maybe you're friends with them for, you know, that month. Maybe you're friends with them for a year while you're in school with them or whatever it is. But when you're adults, it is very awkward to to say, hey, are you friends? Are we friends right now? 
did we just become best friends? You know, or what, what's, what's the, is that the quote from the, the uh, stepbrothers or something? Anyways. All right. <laughs> sure. Well, yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, but having and establishing new friends as an adult is very difficult because when you're kids, you're just hanging out. You're, you're, there's not really like set schedules that people follow or do. And you just, you know, are next to somebody. Hey, you want to be my friend? Yeah. Okay, great. Let's come over and play. All right, good. And, you know, those things just kind of happen. But when you're adults, you are not frequently in places that the you playground yeah you're not you're not at a playground as an adult or at least you probably shouldn't be at a playground <laughs> as an adult that'd be a problem um but your friends quote unquote are are people that you perhaps hang out with at work or talk to or associate with while you're at work but that's not a friend that's a work associate but you can be friendly with those people and you should be friendly with them but to bring them outside of that work environment somewhere else would be you know would equate to a better sense of a friend and so and that's not not wrong you can develop those relationships but majority the majority of people you work with probably aren't quote-unquote those friends you're friendly with them but you don't ask them to do something outside of work i'm sorry maybe that didn't require clarification but we're not saying you can't be friends with your coworkers. yes be friends with your coworkers. so what john deloney talks about is he him and him and his wife were sitting down at the at a table, kitchen table at their house, and they invited a couple over. And they made John Deloney and his wife made food, made dinner, and they invited this couple over. They just moved to a new area. And they're sitting down, they're talking, and he looks at his wife, and he, he kind of has that look, and his wife's like, Okay, I guess. And then there's an awkward silence. He says, I want to ask you guys if you will be our friends. And before you say yes, let me tell you what that means. What does this what does it mean to be our friend? And he goes through the whole list. You know, it's it's something I can call on at three o'clock in the morning. It's it's if I have to move, you're gonna be there to help me. You're gonna tell me the tough things that I need to hear in the moment because you want the best for me and I want the best for you. So if that happens, I will be that person for you. They establish what friendship means and what what he believes what that means. And then he, you know, waits for the response. Will you be our friends? No. Okay. They finish dinner. Goodbye. And then, you know, you associate with that people, those people, you're nice to them, but they're not your friends. And then, you know, however many times you have to do that to actually establish a friendship with somebody, you have to go through that awkwardness of actually, like, think about this. How many times as an adult have you actually said the words, Will you be my friend? Have you ever said that to somebody? Uh, not in my adult life, no, sir. No. You, it's just it's just kind of something, oh, you, you think, or you, you're like, oh, we are, but it's never actually explicitly said. And not only is it not explicitly said, it's not clarified the the meaning of what friendship is on either side. That person has an idea of what friendship is. You have an idea of what friendship is, but those ideas very likely do not match up in the slightest. And so... What he kind of establishes in that book is what does it mean to be a friend? And then actually sitting down and having that awkward conversation with somebody and, and, and says, will you be my friend or will you be our friends? And what was that book called? Own Your Past, Change Your Future. Own Your Past, Change Your Future. Yes, yeah, sir. There's, there's a handful of really, really good, I would say, 
functional, practical takeaways from that book. And that was the, the friendship aspect of it was one of the ones that I, that I gathered. That was a, a really, um, an eye opening type of idea or mindset about, you know, making friends or establishing friendships as an adult. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, yeah, good. I think to kind of wrap it all up, just make sure that you are number one, being aware of the people that you surround yourself with, whether that be um, mentors or role models or the people you follow on social media, the people you call your friends. Uh, number two, doing your best to make sure that those people you're surrounding yourself with, following, or that you call your friends uh, want the best for you or uh, contribute positively to your life somehow, have similar values, have similar goals that are going to make you more positive and, and really bring you up. And number three, if you don't have those relationships that you feel like are are feeding into you and helping you to grow, then you know maybe try to find a way to transition or find more people that are going to make you better, that are going to help you uh, grow and become the person you want to be, uh, reinforce your values, help you with your goals, motivate you, inspire you, are honest with you. Um, uh, you know, there's someone you can call at 3 a.m. to come watch your kids and if you have to go to the hospital or X, Y, or Z or whatever it is. And then, you know, make sure that you guys are helping each other uh, be the person that you want to be. Uh, make sure you, you, you are helping each other present yourselves the way you want to be and just make sure that the people you surround yourself with, the network that you have is, is positive and, and beneficial for you. Um, kind of even in a selfish way, I don't want to say not a selfish way, but yeah, selfishly you want to, to be better and surround yourself with people who are going to make you better. And, and, you know, that's okay. I think in this case, um, as long as you are not hurting other people in your pursuit of doing that, Sure. Go ahead. Be selfish with who you surround yourself with and make sure that's good for you. So moving now to my, my book study, I am working my way through The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, which is an interesting uh, book so far. He's really kind of talking about why fossil fuels are not necessarily the worst things. And lots of the kind of people that are talking about fossil fuels being bad have been talking about fossil fuels being bad from 1970 on. And so far, all of the things they've said was going to happen in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. If if we were to believe them, we would be living in some sort of, you know, apocalyptic type future where fossil fuels are just obsolete and, you know, catastrophes are, are abound. But that hasn't happened. And, and in fact, his belief and his his backing is that it's been quite the opposite where the use of fossil fuels has enriched and, and improved the lives of huge number of people that would have not otherwise had those opportunities just because of the use of fossil fuels. And so um, really interesting so far. I, I'm not um, not necessarily saying I believe one way or the other, uh, but it is interesting the argument that that he poses in that. And again, that's The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Alex Epstein, uh, if you didn't hear last time. So I won't be seeing you drive around in a Prius? No, I don't think so. You see me maybe driving like a, a semi-truck now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But <laughs> um, it, is a, it is an interesting read. And again, I'm only, I've only kind of just kind of scratched the surface almost of it. But um, very interesting and I've and liked it thus far. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Take initiative.